Thanks, team. Um, as I said just moments ago, really, today we're going to be exploring what Proverbs has to say about our emotional, like our inner emotional life. Uh, Jesus cares about your emotions. <laughs> I don't know if you thought of that, about that before, but he, he cares what's going on inside of you. It matters to him. He does not stand aloof and distant and uncaring from your inner crazy. He comes beside you. He wants to know. He enters into the turbulence and, and seeks to counsel us. And through Proverbs, I think he's going to counsel us. Um, and so the plan today was, keyword, was to look at four different emotions, key emotions that come up a bunch of times through the book of Proverbs. Uh, those four emotions are anger, fear, sadness, and jealousy. Those are all very four, uh, those are four very important emotions we all need to process in our lives. Um, and some of the feelers in the room right now, you've experienced all four of those since I've started speaking. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm sorry. Life must be hard for you guys. Seriously, that's rough, if that's you. Um, anyway, so during my preparation, those four things, anger, sadness, fear, and jealousy, those four things turned into three things, turned into two things, and finally, on Wednesday afternoon, Matt convinced me, one thing. Uh, the truth is, we just can't do justice to more than one in a single message, I don't think. And so, can I just say it from the outset? I'm really, 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 really sorry if that makes you feel sad or afraid <laughs> or jealous. Um, but if you feel angry, great. <laughs> because guess what? We're going to be talking about anger today. And so if you're angry that we're not doing all four, this is good, good news for you. Let me pray once more before we jump in. Lord, we thank you for Proverbs. We've said it a few times. Let's say it again, Lord. We thank you for your word to us, that you speak to us. We pray now, Lord, for ears that can hear your word to us. Remove our spiritual blindness and our spiritual hardness and soften us to your voice. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So over the recent weeks, I've been teaching my daughter Lucy how to ride a bike. She's picked up very fast, faster than I was expecting. Um, and this is her maybe two weeks ago. Um, she's kind of come to grips with the fact that the faster you move, the less you wobble. Like you're stable when you're moving fast. And so she's kind of got that like, okay, I've got to pedal fast so I can not fall over thing. So that's a good, that's a good start. Um, but it's been clear, and you can kind of tell from that photo-ish, um, her bike's too small for her. She's too tall for that thing. And her, her knees were kind of like getting up near the handlebars. And so, all right. It's her birthday, let's get her a new bike. And so the week before last, it was her birthday just on Wednesday, just gone. Uh, she turned seven, we had a great time. Um, but in the week leading up, I found a new bike on Facebook Marketplace. This thing was a steel. Uh, it wasn't made from steel, it was alloy, but it was a steel. Um, it, I, I, I was looking at buying a new one, or at least I was seeing how much a new one would cost, of like an alloy frame thing like that, and like 500 bucks. I was like, that's so much money. Got this one for 50 bucks. Oh, I'm so happy. Um, rich people, right? Downgrading, it's great. Um, it's got like Shimano shifters, and it's, it's got even a little bit of suspension at the front, so she can like go over big, big, big bumps. Um, so she's got it real good. Like, we, I didn't grow up on a bike like that. But anyway, she's got one of those. Um, but getting this bike, th there's the new one, right? So we did get it in the end. But getting this bike was your classic Facebook Marketplace nightmare. 
it was just the worst. So I, I went, the, the, the place was like 45 minutes from my house, okay? So that's already like an hour and a half round trip to get there um, in, in, in traffic. But then, at the, at, the, at the arranged time, I rock up and no response, just ghosted. So I'm sitting there for an hour in the sun, an hour being like, I need this bike, it's her birthday, like in, 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 a, in a day or two, this is my chance. And um, I'm completely ghosted. I hear back from her, like, like, afternoon the next day. Eventually, I left after about an hour. I was like, oh, I, got, I, got, I can't just stay here forever, right? And I'm glad I didn't, because it took her the next day. In the end, I finally got it. Um, I rocked up, kind of semi-randomly, and her husband was there. He had no idea what was going on. He was a classic marketplace husband. He's like, what, a bike? What are you, what are you even talking about? I'm like, yeah, anyway, so um, she, she wasn't around even then. Um, finally got the bike, gave the money, got the bike for Lucy. She, it's harder to ride because it's so different, but we, we got it. We, we did it. However, I was not happy. I was a little bit, dare we even say it, frustrated. No, angry. That was a joke. Um, I was a little bit angry. There is lots of things in our world that will make us a little bit frustrated, but the truth is... <laughs> There's going to be lots in our life that is going to make us more frustrated than being ghosted on Marketplace. We're going to get properly angry in this world. So what wisdom do we find in the book of Proverbs to counsel us through our anger? I'm going to throw out five verses up front for you to think about. These are wonderful Proverbs. I love these Proverbs. I think they're so insightful. Firstly, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and the one given to anger causes much transgression. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than the one who takes a city. Uh, we, we live in a world pretty much ready to explode at all times in anger. The, the, like, the baseline temperature is just like simmering to boiling all the time. And it doesn't take much to get explosive. Uh, and a big part of this, honestly, is that advertisers have figured out, genuinely have figured out, that um, it is profitable to them to generate anger. It's, it's profitable. Uh, there is money to be made in provoking anger. And so on the internet, there's some basic maths. Um, I've got some maths on the board. Is that, is that one going to be there? Here we go, okay. This is basic internet advertising 101, okay? Clicks equals money. Anger equals clicks. Therefore, anger equals money. So if we can generate outrage, we get more clicks, we get more money, and that's just like, that's advertising 101 on the internet. And if you didn't know that, that's a very important thing to know. Um, you are being emotionally manipulated by headlines and article content so that they can make money off you. That's really important to get get your um, head around. It's been nicknamed rage baiting. 
which used to be clickbait, right? It used to be clickbait, now it's rage bait. But as you can see from my maths, um, rage and click, rage equals clicks, right? So clickbait, rage bait, same thing. Um, the maths checks out. So in this crazy, angry world, a person who is slow to anger actually stands out from the crowd. They're better than the mighty, we read in Proverbs. And so just take a moment now to just think of a, an example in your life where you got properly angry. And while you just take maybe, I'll give you maybe 30 seconds to have a little think, and I'm going to ask a friend to get me a little drink of water, if that's possible. And um, Juliet and my wife, oh, both my friends. Um, thanks, Juliet. Um, take, just take a moment now to think of a time in your life where you felt properly angry. And I'm going to take a drink. Have a think. That's going to do us all good. All right. We've all experienced anger. We've all experienced anger that felt overwhelming and strong. Um, but it's important to start by saying that the experience or the feeling of anger itself, it's not in of itself bad, is it? It's what we do with that anger that really matters. And the most obvious reason I can say that pretty confidently is because when we look at the life of Jesus, he shows us what it means to be angry without sin. Jesus got angry on a whole bunch of occasions. There's five kind of key places where he gets, where you can see his, his anger. Firstly, he was angry with the Pharisees because of their hardness of heart. They loved the Old Testament. They loved the Word of God. And yet they were spiritually hard to what it was saying to them. And it made him angry, the way they were abusing people. This is what he says. Uh, this is what we read in Mark 3, verse 4 and 5. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. He cannot believe that they won't say anything. They're just, they're just standing there. We, we can't answer him. It makes him angry. Jesus, on another occasion, got angry with his own disciples because they would not let the kids come and see him. He did not like that at all. He got angry. He got angry in the temple when he saw people trying to make a quick buck off the worship of God. He, uh, he even made himself a whip, which, by the way, shows that this was an entirely premeditated moment. He had, ahead of time, brought a whip with him. So this isn't like Jesus flying off the handle, getting like, you know, like an, he had an explosive moment. It's like, no, no. He was, he was very in control. He knew exactly what he was doing. This was a very intentional moment. Jesus, on other occasions, called some people wolves. He called other people hypocrites. He called other people vipers bound for hell itself. So in the life of Jesus, we see quite clearly that he never backed down from confronting what was evil in the world. 
He never backed down with, with clarity and courage against what was wrong. He went toe-to-toe with evil. And in the same way, friends, you and I, living in this broken world is going to provoke us to a real righteous anger. Anger at evil, anger at death, anger at Satan, anger at suffering. In fact, one, one um, early Christian preacher, early, early, early Christian preacher, John Chrysostom, uh, golden mouth if you remember him, uh, he said this, he said, he who is not angry when he has caused to be sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. So this is a guy that's saying, if you're never angry at evil, something's wrong. You don't care about what God cares about. Ap- apathy is a sin. And this is just a John Chrysostom's words, not the words of Scripture, but I think he is on the money. So obviously, often, when you, when you hear a sermon on anger, obviously it's important to say that anger, it's often anger that leads us into our sin. That's, that's super obvious, you know that. At the very same time, right, there are times when our lack of anger shows a lack of love. We don't care what God cares about. We must be willing to be angry when the occasion calls for it. This is the way the New Testament says it. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, 27, uh, Paul writing in Ephesians says, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. That's possible, according to Scripture. In fact, that's a command of Scripture. He goes on, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So don't hold on to anger. Don't let it go in. And give no opportunity for the devil. Anger that is held onto is going to go down. It's going to cause a root of bitterness. It's going to give all sorts of opportunity to Satan. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So the feeling, the experience of anger when you were thinking before about last time you got properly angry, right? Um, That experience of anger doesn't automatically put us into the category of sinning. However, the massive problem for you and for me is that so much of our sin is born out of our anger. Because anger is an incredibly destructive emotion. It will pulverize anything in its path and feel good about it while it does it. (laughs) This is why um, destruction therapy is a thing, if you've ever heard of that. It's when you give a guy, uh, when someone pays money to go to a room and pick up a baseball bat and break stuff. It's like, that's, that's a thing out there. People do that. Um, unchecked rage. My and your unchecked, uncontrolled rage is corrosive to our character. What it does over time is it begins to calcify within us, and it'll calcify into a deep-seated contempt for those people around us that God has made in his image, that we hate. We are willfully blind to the God-given dignity of those that we're angry against. That's a sin. In the words of James 1, verse 20, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man destroys and destroys and destroys. This is what we read in Proverbs earlier. 
so much of the evil in the world right now and so much unrighteousness in my life and so much unrighteousness in your life is due to our anger. Parents, your greatest sins against your kids almost certainly going to be because of your uncontrolled anger. When you aren't disciplining, you are angry. You can't discipline and be angry unless you're controlling your anger appropriately. Spouses, the deepest wounds you're going to inflict on your spouses are going to probably be words you say in anger that can't be easily forgotten. And so given the destructive quality of our anger, you can see why Proverbs give so much weight to, I'm sure you picked it up, to being slow to anger. Slow to anger. So Proverbs is not saying no anger. It's not saying explosive anger. What we're called to, what, what wisdom calls us to, is being slow to anger. Slow to anger. God himself in Exodus describes himself in exactly this way to Moses. He, he is absolutely capable of terrible anger. But our God never flies off the handle. He's never out of control. He's not explosive. He never lacks self-control. He is slow to anger. The, King, uh, the New King James um, translates this as long-suffering. He is long-suffering with us. He is so patient with us. He is not naturally angry. He's not like a grumpy dad. He's slow to anger. He needs to be continually provoked and provoked and provoked to anger, and it takes a long time. But there is a limit, we see. He is so patient with us. So Proverbs is saying to us, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. That's what wisdom is. That's the goal as a Christian, that we would be slow to anger while the fool has this hasty temper. Um, Have you ever got really angry and then kind of in your anger done something that, like when you cool down later on, when, when everything, like when the, when the steam went off, and you just felt like the thing you did was a bit foolish, you felt like a bit of an idiot, maybe you threw something across the room, or I don't know what it is, or you do slam the door or something like that. Well, Proverbs is saying, yeah, you feel like a fool because you're being a fool. Your anger is making you foolish. Make no mistake about it. And then... Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes. He's saying, you think think conquering a city is hard? Try exercising some self-control when you're feeling really angry and tell me which one's harder to do. (laughs) Taking a city's child's play compared to self-control over your anger. So, we experience it. We know what we're supposed to do. Slow to anger. Let's think practically now about what we might do in a situation where we are finding ourselves angry. Let's get practical. I've got five steps to walk through. Um, Not perfect, but hopefully it will give us some uh, some food for thought. Five A's as well. I made that work, which is always a good sign. All right. Do you want to throw them up? Anger. Anger's A as well. Gosh, six A's. What a good day this is. Um, Admit, analyze, apply, absolve, and finally approach. 
when we're feeling angry, what do we do? Let's start with the obvious starting place. First thing we do, well, let me say this about anger first. Anger has a way of shifting blame. It's always someone else's fault. It self-justifies itself. It justifies itself. It's self-justifying, right? And so when we're angry, it's really easy to deflect and self-justify. And so it actually takes a whole lot of spiritual insight. It takes a work from the Lord, I think, to have that moment where we can admit that we are actually angry. <laughs> Whether it's valid anger or not valid anger, this is an important step because denial helps no one, right? We can't do anything if we're in self-denial about being angry. Um, and so when you're in that moment where you're feeling angry, you can feel the, it boiling up, take that moment when you're experiencing intense anger to stop and to tell God in prayer that you are angry. Tell him. Do you know, in that moment, he already knows you're angry. He knows you better than you know you. He's there with you in that moment right then and there. And so you're not telling him information that he is not aware of. You're confessing it. It's not even necessarily sin at this point, right? It's just, I'm feeling angry. So tell him, Lord, I'm feeling angry right now. And let that moment of honesty be a doorway into prayer and acknowledgement of the Spirit's presence with you in that moment. He's with you. He sees you. Tell him. And I think, honestly, I think that for some moments of anger, just that moment enough is going to be enough where we acknowledge that right now I'm standing before my great and holy God, the one who will judge the living and the dead. And just that perspective might well be enough to help you see your current anger in new light. Let's start by admitting and turning to prayer. So that's admit, not just to yourself, but to God. God, I am feeling angry. What a great place to start. Secondly, analyze. We actually need to dig a bit deeper to find out what's going on in our hearts. So we're going to ask some diagnostic questions of our anger. Right? I think this is incredibly important. Firstly, is my anger proportionate? Is my anger proportionate? What am I actually angry at? I think if you sit in that question for a little bit, you might realize that you're not angry about the thing you're angry about. There's actually something else going on that's really important to, to discover on Earth. So you need to actually ask the question, am I actually feeling this amount of rage because of this situation, or is there something bigger? Um, is the object of my anger the actual source of my anger, or is there something else going on? Those two are very connected. Um, I think anger wells up within us as a bit of a defense mechanism when something we love is being threatened. That's kind of the, it's the instinct. Um, and so asking yourself, what is the, what danger is my anger actually confronting? It's the fight or flight, right? It's the, it's the, you've picked fight when you're angry. What is the danger that your anger is actually going after? But then conversely, what is the threat, what is the good thing that's being threatened? I reckon that those two questions are going to be very humbling. Because I think, genuinely, if we sincerely sit in those questions, we will see pretty quickly that what is being threatened 
is our own precious ego or our convenience, our wounded ego or our precious convenience, they're being, that's what's being threatened. And so we've got to actually analyze our anger and say, is this a righteous cause? Is this something God is angry about? Or is this a self-righteous cause? Is this a righteous cause or is this a self-righteous cause? Is it just my own wounded pride that is causing this response in me? I think, again, if we're honest, and we can't do this without being honest, um, if we're honest, we're often not deeply angry at the things that deserve our anger. Things like evil, injustice. Most of the time we're angry at the car in front that cut us off or the slow checkout lane and the guy that has that massive big heaped of pile of stuff and he's taking forever and he's telling stories and he's just being so slow or maybe you're angry at stupid Susan in a marketplace who wouldn't answer her phone about the bike. Um, <laughs> name redacted. Do you know what I'm saying? In the grand scheme of things, like if I'm more angry about those things than I am about, for example, things that God cares about, systematic injustice. Go read the book of Amos and see how, how, how the Lord talks to his people who are worshipping him while committing systematic injustice against the people. Religious hypocrisy and corruption. Genuine racism, bigotry. The devaluing of people made in the image of God. Those authoritarian governments crushing people for power. Corporations crushing their staff for money. If we care more about, if we're more angry at the stuff, the little things where it's our convenience being threatened and not the image of God and other people being threatened, something's misfiring, do you see? Are we angry about what God cares about? Are we angry because of our own selfishness, our own impatience, our own insecurity, our own, sometimes, can we be honest, pure bloodlust. We just want to see our enemies go. That's evil. It's wicked. James 1.20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It really does not. And so we must analyze what is going on in my heart, what is being threatened, what are my motivations we admit, we analyze. Number three, we apply the gospel. What is the gospel of God? What is the gospel of grace for undeserving sinners say to me in that moment? So in that moment where we realize that our anger is probably selfish, it's self-righteous. Yes, someone might be wronging me, but it's still self-righteous in its, in its content. And yet we're still experiencing our anger. Um, what we need to do next is we actually need to start applying and counseling ourselves with the gospel. We need to counsel ourselves and let the gospel lead us into godly decisions. And so the first thing we probably need to do is actually repent of whatever idol we've just been worshipping instead of the Lord. Probably the idol of ourself. Probably our pride that needs to be repented of. Because the source of our sinful anger on every occasion, is going to be some idolatry. And idolatry demands repentance. The good news of the gospel is that Christ died for idolaters. And he died for idolaters while they were committing idolatry. 
Christ died for sinners while we were sinners. He loved us when we didn't deserve his love. His grace covers every one of our sins. He has treated us better than we deserve. And so when we sit in those truths of the love for God for us, and we begin to feel the privilege the Lord has given us as his children, it's pretty hard to um, be self-righteously angry when you're experiencing the thankfulness that comes from knowing the Lord. And so, the Bible teaches us clearly, he is calling us to treat others in the same way. We treat them better than they deserve. We are slow to anger. We love people better than they deserve. We don't treat them as their sins deserve. We love them as we have been loved. 1 John 4, 19, right? We love because he first loved us. That's, that's our motivation. So you can respond in graciousness. We're going to build out this, uh, this theme a little bit more in, uh, in the next one, absolve. Um, to absolve someone is to choose to not hold their sin against them like a weapon, but leave justice to the Lord. I'm not going to use... I'm not going to use... I'm not going to hold that sin against you like a weapon. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. Leave justice to God. Let me read two of those Proverbs again for us that, that speak to this and just um, and hear them now with, with fresh ears as to how um, the, the glory of the gospel's response to when we've been wronged. Proverbs 10, 12. He says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Listen, even when you're angry with good justification, even in that moment, it is still a greater glory to overlook an offense. A greater glory. Why? Because we have a higher calling than just getting even. We can leave justice to God. Our higher calling is the imitation of Christ. And it's glorious. It's more glorious than eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tell you what. So the next time someone cuts you off in traffic, I want you to do this with me. I'll try to do it on the way home as well because we'll all get cut off on the way home today, I'm sure. Um, When you have that moment and you feel the anger, say, this is a moment the Lord has given me for glory. I'm going to overlook this offense. This is a glorious moment. This is an opportunity for glory. And it sounds crazy, because it is crazy to us, but it's true. It's true. To cover an offense with love, to overlook a personal offense is glorious. And it's glorious because it is Christ-like and there is nothing else like it in this world. When we actually get to live out the gospel in those ways, meaningful ways, it's powerful. Uh, Tim Keller used an example of parenting, which I'm going to borrow from him. Um, parents will agree with me. Parenting is intense. Um, you know, before having kids, I feel like our marriage was like a long date, and then kids, and then it changed to something else, um, and it has never changed back. Being a parent is, is sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. What you want doesn't really factor into the equation. If you have to get up in the middle of the night, you don't want to do that? Oh, well. Up you get, right? The kid, the kid needs you. Um, everything revolves around that kid. And then, as time marches on, that kid becomes a teenager. I have two daughters. I am terrified. 
nothing will prepare me for that moment. Two teenage girls in the house. I just, I don't know what to say. Um, pray for me now, already. <laughs> but the day comes, right, where parenting teenagers, the day comes when they can, again, teenagers, they're smarter than you at that point, probably. <laughs> um, they're, they, un, like they, they can argue. They have a strong sense of, I'm my own person. And so they should, right? They are their own person, by the record, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, but the day comes where that teenager wants to do something that is absurdly destructive. And they can't see why, there's a, why, it's a, why is this a problem? Why, why can't I do this thing? And it's like every rational person on the planet knows that that is the worst idea ever. And yet that teenager is like, I'm going to do it, right? And you have, to, you have to stand against their will and cross their will and, 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 and draw the hard line, no, this isn't happening. And at that point, that kid gets angry and expresses a kind of rage that is reserved for only teenagers um, and looks you in the eye and starts saying things like, you don't love me. You hate me. You never do anything for me. Um, you never let me do anything. You, you don't want me to be happy. You hate, I hate you and you hate me. Um, I've, no, I've never experienced that. Maybe you've got some runs on the board and, you, and you've, you've had that moment. Um, that's awful. I think we can all agree, even in hypothetical land, if that happens, that's got to be one of the most unjust, hurtful, entirely disproportionate, angry outbursts you can imagine. The injustice of that, after all, after all that parents done for you, to, to say those words, would be incredibly cutting. So how does a wise parent respond to that craziness? Um, first two options, fight or flight, right? You can fight, they're angry, you get angry. You hate me, I hate you. Like, you go toe-to-toe -to -toe and you, um, you cut loose and you let your anger out and you fight. Um, second option, flight. Just avoid the confrontation. We're not talking about this. This conversation is never going to happen. Uh, we're going to avoid each other. We're going to just pretend this never happened. And when you cool down, we'll just kind of go on with life as normal. Um, and we just... Ignore it. Um, neither of those are wise, clearly. I hope you can see that. What's the third option? What do you think Jesus would do? Well, Jesus would go after the heart of that teenager. He'd call a spade and, he would call a spade a spade and call what they just said outrageously sinful and unjust. And they would seek calmly and gently to correct that teenager and love them and confront that self-centered rage and to just insist on the truth that you can't say things like that to your parents. That is breaking the fourth commandment. How do you think the Lord responds to us when we do that to him? Don't we often treat God like a petulant teenager? Treats his loving parents. When we don't get what we want, when we feel like our will has been crossed by his and he insists on his way, don't we respond at times with petulance? And yet the Lord, he absorbs that wrongdoing. He absorbs our sin. And on the cross, he absorbs, he absorbs it all. Every single moment. Jesus shows us that the 
ultimate act of sacrifice when he's, when he's dying on the cross. And he prays for us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We are called to love others in that same way and receive that forgiveness from him. One final word before we, before we pray. This one will be really quick, but I can't not, we can't not go there. Um, we need to approach that person who has wronged us. If you're holding on to your anger like a shield, it'll go deep, it'll make you bitter, it'll destroy you. The Lord calls you to let it go. I'm just going to let the word of God speak for itself with these verses. Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. If you're offering your gift at the altar, translation, if you're worshipping the Lord, and, you remember, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother. And then come back and honor your, offer your gift. I wonder if there is a verse in the Bible, a command of Christ, more frequently disobeyed than that verse. Well, leave it and go be reconciled. 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the command we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I think that, that says it louder than I could ever say it. So approach that person. Be restored. Leave justice to the Lord. It is your glory to overlook an offense. So, we're going to admit our anger in prayer. We're going to analyze it. We're going to be honest about it. Where's it coming from? Is it, is, does it have self-righteous roots? Um, we're going to apply the gospel and repent and remember what the Lord has done for us in loving us so well. We're going to absolve. We're going to overlook offenses. It's glorious when we do that. And we're going to approach that person and seek reconciliation. And I pray that in this church, we would live out these things with one another that where there is offense within the church, we would honor the Lord, seek one another out, be reconciled. I pray for all of us that we would live lives that shine the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the way you've loved us so well, greater than we deserve. I confess, so often my anger is disproportionate. It is self-centered. It, it just plainly, it just simply does not honor you. Lord, I pray you would make me and make every one of us in this church slow to anger. Keep us from sinning against you and against one another in our anger. Lord, give us the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, um, self-control. Lord, we grow in self-control. And Lord, for all of us who have people in our lives that we need, that we hold on to unforgiveness over, we know that we are unable to forgive without you. We simply do not have the resources. But Lord, in the gospel, we do. By your Holy Spirit, we do. So give us courage to obey your commands, to follow you, to overlook offences. Lord, we just... Make us humble and give us a beautifully accurate picture of who you are. God sovereign over all things, the one who has loved us so well. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for the forgiveness that you bring. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, team.